0: You want the facts? We want to share them with you. Together we'll boldly unpack the deeper truths inside the real estate industry's most relevant issues. This is Getting Real with Rob. Here's your host, Rob Namfeld. Welcome to Getting Real with Rob. Today, our special guest is Tim Mitten, Executive Vice President of the North Carolina Home Builders Association. Welcome, Tim. Great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for making the trip over. As is customary with the beginning of these podcasts, we like to do our lightning round um, to get a little bit of knowledge, inside knowledge about our guests. So are you ready? I hope so. All right. Well, well let's give it a shot. Um, so we're going to ask you five or six questions, uh, starting with what was your your very first job in the industry? My first job was actually
1: working for the North Carolina Association of Realtors in 1991. That was a long time ago. I was their political director. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, And do you have a phobia? I have. Yes, actually. And it's strange to have it being here in Charlotte. I actually, my phobia actually is looking straight up at tall buildings. (laughs) (laughs) So my knees will literally start
0: shaking if I look straight up at a tall building. So. Well, you'd actually do really well here in Charlotte. Everybody seems to have problems with height, height and buildings. So we'll get into that later. Um, What's your preference, texting or calling people? You know, that's a good question. I I would say I would prefer to call, but obviously texting is a lot easier. Okay. Uh fair. Uh were you a good student in
1: grade school? Uh, yes. I, uh, unfortunately, yes, I was a good student. So it was,
0: uh, I, I took school very seriously when I was younger, but not when I got older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually uh, pretty similar there. Um, so, uh, and then lastly, what is your favorite music genre? I, I would say that sort of the classics would be my favorite. So uh,
1: I, you know, I'm always, uh, I, I enjoy things that were sung in the seventies and the eighties. That's kind of the classics oh, okay. now, you know, it's, you know, some people think the classics are the 50s or 40s,
0: I guess. But now those are the classics. OK. I wasn't sure if we're going back to Bach and Strauss. Right. right? So, <laughs> um, so before then, uh, thank you for the for the yep. lightning round. I think you did pretty well. Um, before we move on to our meaty discussion, uh, we, t- we, we started off with jobs. Um, I understand um, you had a pretty interesting job early on in your life. Uh, can, can you tell us expound on that a little bit? I did. I was, uh, when I was
1: attending University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, I did not do that well my freshman year. And so I thought maybe I should get, I would worked all through high school, that if I got a job that that would keep me out of trouble. And it did. I ended up working at the funeral home there in Chapel Hill and actually lived there as well. At and the funeral home. At the funeral home. Yeah. So it, uh, I use that excuse about how horrible my dating life was. It was because <laughs> I lived at the funeral home, even though that was probably not the case. But yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, I, I literally had to carry a pager around and the pager would go off and I would be with a group of people and say, sorry, I have to go. Someone passed away. And so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was uh, there for about two and a half years and uh, the, the folks I worked with, they were great folks. They were all local folks. And interesting enough, most visitations are actually a big party. I mean, a lot of times it's families that haven't gotten together for a while. And so it was, I used to say, if I could sell drinks at these, I'd make a lot of money, so, (laughs) uh, but yeah, that was the,
0: sort of the secret job that most people don't know about. Interesting. I actually, uh, transported, um, um, samples tissue samples when i was in la for a couple of years um so i used to drive around in my mustang convertible and take tissue samples of colon things like that um so i see some similarities here tim no, some, I, I would take them to the airport actually because
1: <laughs> the uh, medical examiner's office is actually in chapel hill so we would we used to call them ship outs okay. and so i would actually take the 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 ones that were going to go to other places to the airport all the time
0: Okay. All right. Well, enough about dead bodies yes. and tissue samples. Let's move <laughs> on. Let's go into politics. Uh, it's about the same. There so. you go. <laughs> <are. laughs> that's true. Fair. Um, so tell us a little about your responsibilities um, as executive vice president at NCHBA. Um, you know, what, what are you into these days and what... What are your, tell us about your staff and uh, kind of how, how that works. Yeah, we're, we are the largest uh, state home builder association in the country.
1: We're getting ready to hit 15,000 members again. So we're very excited about that. Right. And sort of our main three functions are advocacy, education, and, and some events. And obviously ed- advocacy is our biggest uh, sort of top priority. As it should be. Yeah, it should be. And uh, we have a, a great team of folks uh, in Raleigh that represent our builders, not only at the general assembly, but other things that we do. I mean, we're the largest provider of continuing education in the state for general contractors. And so we're, you know, we're always looking at new things to do. I, I view part of my job is just try to think ahead in terms of an organization. Where do we need to be next? Where do we need to be positioned? Do we have the right people to do what we need to do? And I would have to say right now we have some just amazing folks in, in place that just do a phenomenal
0: job for our members. That's great. Well, you have been a, a powerhouse for some time, certainly uh, in Raleigh and on the, uh, on the state level. Um, tell us a little bit about the interplay between, I understand the Home Builders Association is really um, uh, three different entities, the national, state, and local. Can you tell us a little bit about the interplay between those different groups and, and how that works and how that how you get to positive outcomes as a result?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, I really like the way the organization is structured because that way it kind of forces all three areas to work together. And so when so what you're looking at it from the sort of advocacy standpoint, you have a lot of policies that could either start at the local level or created local level, and then we're dealing with them at the state level, and then even also at the federal level. And so it's important that these three levels work together to, to make sure our members are in the best position they can be to build homes. And, um, you know, uh, the Charlotte area, the Charlotte market's always got challenges. And so the Charlotte Home Builders Association is dealing with those challenges. Ribbick's dealing with those challenges. Mm-hmm. And then at the state level, a, a lot of uh, regulatory uh, challenges our members deal with are happening at the state level. So that's where we jump in. And then, I mean, if you look at what's going on in Washington now, there's a lot of policy that's trying to be pushed down at the state level. And so our national association becomes very critical to try to stop those things. And they get involved in a lot of lawsuits. I mean, the the waters of the U S and, you know, there was a wetlands, a huge wetlands case. that just uh, happened recently. That was a significant you know, victory. Right? Significant. And so, so, that, you know, the, I think part of the challenge is, is, Educating our members on some of these positive impacts that we're able to to help happen, uh, whether it's at the local level, the state level, the federal level. But having those three together and working together is critical for our
0: success. So you've been a lobbyist for a while. Um, Tell us about the day in life of a lobbyist. Well, the day in the life of a lobbyist, I, I could tell you what most
1: people think and then I'll just, but I'll tell you exactly, you know, sort of what happens. I mean, yeah. you, you have to have unbelievable patience um, because, uh, I mean, lobbying is about people and it's about communicating with people and it's about communicating what your group you represent, what their position may be on a particular issue. And we are a firm believer in trying to do it face to face. And so trying to. Track down legislators trying to reach each one prior to a bill being heard or a bill being calendared um, can, can be a challenge. And we'll talk to not just those that we know we think will be in favor of it, but those that are opposed to it. And as part of that conversation, we'll let the legislators know, you know what the other side, their position is on this. And I think that kind of makes us unique in this field um, because we, we want them to feel comfortable when they're making the decision that they're making the right decision. And so uh, to me, it's the only kids game adults can play. I mean, it's obviously political in nature. And uh, uh, for us, what's been nice, especially the last couple of years, is we've had several builders get into the legislature. So now when the General Assembly, when they go into caucus where each party will basically go behind closed doors and talk about issues, we've got somebody in the room that can explain a a home building issue to the group that's there. And and that's very important because a lot of times they're making that decision while they're in the caucus exactly what they're going to do. And so that's really just strengthened
0: our position when we're dealing with uh, legislative issues. That's great. Um, So what what did you do to kind of hone your skills to to do this kind of job? And would you say every day is different? Is that fair? I would say, yeah, I would say the funeral home probably prepared me for it better than any other job. Well stated. Well stated. I think we're done here. Yes, I think we're
1: done. So uh, sometimes uh, I do think I'm back at the funeral home. But uh, it, I mean, it, you know, it, it's it's funny. It's not like you you wake up one day and you're in the eighth grade and you go, I want to grow up and be a lobbyist. I mean, it just sort of I, I started in the political arena doing political campaigns and uh, actually did one in uh, Salisbury, not too far from here. And okay. uh and from that, just sort of, um, uh, f- was doing that. And actually a member of the realtors association, uh, had reached out to me saying they were looking for a political director. And when you're younger, I mean, campaigns are seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. When you start to get a little bit older, that's not as much fun. And, um, I realized I needed to kind of settle down a little bit. So I needed to have a little bit more stable job. So I wasn't looking for a job every two years or every year. And so, um, I think the, that political experience really played well for me going into sort of the association work, doing the political, and then moving into more of the lobbying aspect. Because mm-hmm. it's all dealing with people; you're just dealing with people. And for I, for for me, dealing with legislators, I always say, "Where can I find that that bridge, that connection? Whether it's something personal that you know we both have." Uh, daughters or whether it's uh, they know a member that I know really well or, you know, where they're from is where I'm from, you know, those, those those different connections. So for me, that sort of political experience played really well in becoming a lobbyist. Oh, that's great.
0: So, um, what, so, what would you say is your, uh, your, your key agenda items then for this, this legislative session?
1: Oh, we've had a, a, just a quiet, non-controversial session this year. <laughs> that's what so, I've heard. Yeah, yes, heard. that's what I've heard. heard. That's what I read in the paper every day. No, no vetoes. Made, no no vetoes. vetoes at all. We've actually, Yeah, uh, we're actually, uh, it's, it, it's been an exciting session. I think every about 10 or 15 years, we have a piece of legislation that we kind of say transforms what we're doing. And I think we've got that this year, uh, House Bill 488, which basically, Deals with reorganizing, doing a reorganization of the building code council, and then more importantly, stopping. some of the things that the building code council wants to do, that's going to increase the cost of housing by over Mm $20,000 and at least putting a pause on it till the new council can come in and, and the new council be made up of folks who, who understand the industry will look at affordability as part of the equation when they're looking at code. It's important. And, and you know, the thing is, and this is where it's unfortunate, the building code council and the code was designed for safety, health and safety. That's its purpose. But now it's shifted to more, um, policy political questions and that's unfortunate because homeowners shouldn't have to pay for a, a, a political question and so dealing with the energy code you um, the, the new code that they're looking at will say, there's no question, it will probably save homeowners about $30 a month on their energy bill, but it's going to cost a mortgage about another thousand a month. Mm-hmm. So that is not a good trade-off. No. And so our hope is uh, the governor's vetoed that bill, and uh, our hope is soon the General Assembly is going to overturn that veto, and uh, so we can get moving forward and and make sure we position North Carolina in the best. We've already had one veto override dealing with the farm bill. that was a wetlands provision in there that was very important to us. That, that
0: was that, that played into the what the WOTUS water of the it, United States it, thing, right? It, it
1: did, and it, it was it was not accidental. But we were actually kind of hoping the Farm Bill would happen before the Supreme okay. Court made the ruling because it actually added more intensity to what we were trying to do. And and all we were doing was. Um, uh, DEQ, Department of Environmental Quality, had basically implemented some rules that were illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, they went beyond their authority. Oh, come on. That never happens to Never, <laughs> ever. You know, the, the the I've heard one, I heard uh, it was some city council one time and their attorney, they asked him, about, was this legal? And their response was, it's legal to the court say otherwise. And which was disappointing to hear, but... That's, I think, the position some people take. Yes. And all this does is roll back to what it was before they tried to implement this rule. The world did not come to an end as everyone was claiming was going to happen. But then mm-hmm. the ruling came out at the same time. And so the intensity of that just really it became a focus. But the General Assembly overturned that veto. So that's now the law of North Carolina. So okay. we're very excited about that. And there's one other sort of, uh, there was a big bill dealing with wastewater. Um, and it was huge for this region. Yes. Uh, dealing with what we call gallons per day, the actual usage, uh, in home. The bill, right? and uh, so we're very, I was very excited to be a part of that, going down to Cabarrus meeting with them to, you know, f- kind of figure out a solution. This is not a perfect solution, but this is much better and we still need to work on it some more. Uh, but this is c- kind of the first step, Uh, Wastewater and and water supply issues are going to be, I think, huge for our members for the next 10 years. And so um, and then lastly, there's a reg reform bill that's moving through that we feel probably the governor will probably veto that if it passes.
0: And so we may get three opportunities for veto overrides this year, which would be fun. What's the in that reg reform bill? What would you say are the key elements that you're most
1: interested in? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some that are just very common sense. For example, stormwater, um, in this, if you're buying an existing property and you want to, um, basically, uh, you're, you're making some changes. Um, you get credit for, I mean, are the impervious surface? Sure. That, I mean, you, you're not going to get penalized for actually uh, taking an old commercial structure and now they're going to put all these new provisions in there as well. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, for us, they're even, they're even minor things. Um, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but the word um, minimum now is greater than the word maximum. So, um, That actually came from legislation last year that we were uh, involved in where uh, the maximum a parking space can be is nine feet by 20. But there's a local government that's minimum ordinance is 10 feet by 20. (laughs) And they say they're in compliance with the law. So they reached out to the Institute of Government, which is kind of the group that oversees that. And they agreed with the local government that somehow 10 feet by 20 is not in violation of the law that says a maximum is nine feet by 20. So there's a little provision here to clarify what wow. the word maximum means.
0: So that's kind of where we are now. I'm a little speechless about that. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> to make of that. Okay. Um, any Anything else legislatively for... This year, or what are you kind of looking looking ahead to for next year? Well, I think I
1: mean we've been very fortunate. A lot of our legislation's been able to move. I mean, I think there's been less than a hundred bills have passed the general assembly this session. So I, I think one of the things about lobbying people don't realize is how difficult it is to get a bill through. I I speak to a group of Army captains each year, and I kind of explain the legislative process, and I use a football field, and I say the goal is to score a touchdown. Well, if someone tackles you at the 50-yard line, your bill is dead. If someone tackles you at the one-foot line, your bill is dead. And so it's very difficult to get legislation through, and it's designed that way. It's meant to work that way. And so, um, you know, for us, it's we're keeping a list of things that we're going to be looking at. I mean, unfortunately, um, our wonderful local governments always give us – ideas um if if some of them not all of them if just some of them would just actually follow the law i think there would be we would have to do a lot less legislation but unfortunately there're just some that don't do that and so we have to respond
0: accordingly um in terms of fixing fixing that problem i can think of one in the region right now davidson um has a little <laughs> bit of a housing affordability issue um uh, of, of their own making frankly but well, that's the subject for another day yes um <laughs> uh, what, what do you, what do you, what would you say is, are the biggest differences other than the fact that they put the capital in the wrong city, but what are the biggest differences between Charlotte and Raleigh? Well, since I live in Clayton, you're right, it should be in
1: Clayton, <laughs> not in, not in Raleigh. But, uh, you know, it's funny, I've actually lived in both cities. It's been a long time since I've lived here in Charlotte, but I've always described the two, um, North, uh, Raleigh is a state government town. I mean, that's basically, it's its main industry. It's, it's, everything's driven by that um, Charlotte, much more, f- um, financial sector, different things like that. And I used to say that in Raleigh, everyone went home at five o'clock in Charlotte, everyone goes home at six o'clock. That's how you can mm. tell the difference. I mean, it is funny. Uh, I mean, traffic is harder here than it is in Raleigh, even though we're catching up. I mean, just cause we're just having a huge growth spurt mm-hmm. in, 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 uh, the area. But the, um, uh, I mean, I think Charlotte views itself more urban than Raleigh does. I mm-hmm. mean, and obviously you got all the sports, the, I mean, all the sports teams that I think help from that, from that standpoint. And I mean, we, I think we, North Carolina needs both uh, to be successful. There's no question that having those two anchors in the state is one of the reasons we've had such great economic growth in the state. And uh, so, I, you know, I think it's, you know, we still joke about the great state of, you know, Mecklenburg and the great state of Charlotte, but uh uh, I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, Charlotte's a great city to visit. And, um, and I think the Panthers are going to do better this
0: year. So I think, you know, hopefully we get, you get a lot more visitors this year than you have in years past. What do you, you mentioned the great state of Mecklenburg. What, cause I've heard that a lot over the years uh, that I've lived here. What, what things, what steps can be taken by us folks here in the Charlotte region to kind of Improve that relationship, I guess, with Raleigh. Because what happens at Raleigh impacts us directly um, at the General Assembly and and otherwise. So, what what can we do? It it does. And I I think the challenge that all cities are going to face now is
1: we have this huge rural versus urban divide. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, legislators, uh, especially, they represent their constituents. And, you know, those are going to be from rural areas see all the economic growth going to the big cities and that they're not getting a chance to participate with that. You know, broadband has been a big issue for example, and, and just a uh, uh, rural areas, being able to have access to broadband and some of the other things that are out there. And so, you know, I think there's always going to be that tension that's there and um, but there's no question that the cities is where the economic growth is really happening right now. And even from a housing standpoint, you know, we're seeing that's where all the houses are being built, even though we're, we're, you know, we're kind of, Seeing, uh, I mean, I live in Johnston County and if someone told me they'd be building a thousand lot subdivision on the other side of I-95, I would have said there's no
0: way, but that's, that's happening now because that's how far out the growth is going. Do you think that comes because people want to move to North Carolina, good to do business, it's, um, uh, regulatorily, it's not, it's, it's pretty, uh, uh, positive, um, but they're moving away from places that have just gotten to be so, um, difficult to live in and quality of life? Is that, is that kind of how you see it? Or is it, are we more of a draw or are people running from places? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's a combination
1: of things. I, I do think, for example, the the best and worst invention ever made was air conditioning. Air conditioning <laughs> is great if you're from here, but it's worse because it brings everybody here. But, <laughs> um, you know, I joke about the number of New York and New Jersey license plates I see in my little small town. And uh, so, sure. I mean, I think, the, the The state is positioned, I, I think being kind of halfway between Florida and New York is critical. I do think the regulatory environment in terms of the the Journal Assembly's done a fantastic job on tax policy mm-hmm. to make it much more uh, open for companies to come to North Carolina. I think the universities have been a big driver. I mean, we have great universities. A, entire The entire state has great universities. And so having those young people come to North Carolina for school and then end up staying. And so, um, so I think all those things, uh, sort of, sort of drive, but I do think the cost of living here, I know people think housing's expensive, but it's still cheaper here than it is in a lot of places. That's true. That's true. And so, and you see the migration from California, for example, going to Vegas, to, I mean, to Nevada, to Arizona, places like that, Montana. So, you know, you're starting to see this, this sort of migration pattern where people I think now are much more mobile too. And so they can they can move a lot more easily. So I mean I don't see the growth stopping anytime soon.
0: Okay. So um, what what would you say the biggest challenge you face uh, on a regular basis in, in your in your job?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean I think the biggest challenge is trying to help our members be successful, and it's 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 a constant what I call whack a mole. I mean it's like we feel like we've solved this problem over here, and then it pops up in a different way there, and <laughs> And just trying to sort through that, I think zoning, quite frankly, is going to be the biggest challenge as we move forward. I mean, I think this whole rezoning process, that's basically used as a weapon now where basically, you know, you've got to sell your soul to get the project approved is is not the right way to do things, not the right way to do business and sense of, and, and I understand why it happens because you don't get your project approved otherwise. Right. I mean, it's to the point now that we could make, you know, pick any topic illegal and someone next week is going to agree to it as part of their development. Right. So why put it in the statute then? I mean, from that statute, you know, from that standpoint. So we've got to really sit down. We've got to figure this problem out. And I think that's our biggest challenge moving forward is how do we solve this? Um, our members tell us they want to be able to negotiate, which I understand completely. But it's the, the problem is that when the door's even cracked, the other side's going to open it wide open and yeah. so how do you know how do we come up with some consistency or a process where you're
0: treated fairly as you're going through the going through trying to get that approval seems like there needs to be better sideboards of some kind um, to, to kind of control that process um, well let's talk about something really positive um, which which I'm actually really excited about and excited to hear about be pro be proud tell us a little about that program
1: yeah we're very excited uh when i took this role as executive vice president i wasn't sure where how we could fit when it comes to sort of uh labor and training folks for the future encourage them to get into the into the housing industry and uh, this project was actually started in arkansas and it's now in seven states uh, they were coming to north carolina they asked us if we would run the program in north carolina They also threw in there, the General Assembly is probably going to give you money to start the program. Excellent. So that was, yes, that was a nice incentive. And so uh, we, uh, I got to see, South Carolina had a a vehicle, so we got to see that. And it was just amazing. And so we were very excited. And basically what it is, is it's a mobile classroom. It's literally a semi-tractor trailer. And it uh, literally goes to schools across North Carolina. We have two of them. And there are 11 virtual and simulators that kids go through to encourage them to get into the industry. And for example, the plumbing one, you basically have a project where you have to cut a pipe out of the wall, which, I mean, i failed the first three times, but at the end it shows you how much money you're going to make based on that project. And so part of it is encourage them to sign up and then we can continue to send them information about the trades and and literally how much money you could be making. And so we've, uh, we rolled out the program in late October. We've already reached, uh, I think, about 26, 27,000 students, and about 2,500 of them have signed up. And so that's, uh-huh. so I'm very excited. And, uh, the, and um, the goal is about 40,000 a school year. We haven't had it a full school year yet. So 40,000 a school year. So that to me is a very positive. Um, way to impact the industry and, um, and, and just seeing what I'm really am excited about is seeing all the young ladies who are going in and seeing this as a possible career choice. Because I think that's the future of our organization is right there.
0: That's great. You got to fill that void of the, of the workforce. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, kind of along those lines, I think you, you've all been doing some scholarship work. Is that right? Yeah, we we expanded our scholarship program. So basically to, to where before we'd kind of focus more
1: on uh, one or two scholarships. Uh, and now we've expanded it. And we literally took the state and we have eight regions and we're giving out scholarships to community colleges across the state. In fact, hope to give one here in the Charlotte market here today. So, excellent. Uh, but uh, well, this is the first year of the program. Uh, we ended up, our goal was to give out eight scholarships. We gave out 19. Wow. And so we're very excited. And, and it's just, I'll tell you, I went to uh, Nash Community College the other day to present a young man, his scholarship. His parents showed up. The president of the community college came out. And as we're presenting it, he pointed to a water tower that was there. He's going to be a welder. And he was saying he was working on that water tower the day before. Wow. So it's just really neat to meet these young people and just see um, as I tell them how much money they're going to be making here soon. Um, and that they, I think, shows in a great career to, to, you know, for their future.
0: That's awesome. Well, what, what is... At REBIC members, what can we do to support your efforts on that? I know some of our REBIC members are NCHBA members. Um, we're all part of the same family. What what can we do to support your efforts um, on the state level? Well, what you all do is critical. And because we're not on the front line, we're, you know, we're in
1: Raleigh. And so we don't see what's going on on a day-to-day basis. And so we need organizations like yours to be here at the local level. One, hopefully, if the opportunity presents itself, to stop something at the local level. But it also, that's where we get our legislative ideas from. And um, for the most part, a lot of times our members won't call us and tell us there's a problem. So we need you to let us know. So that way, and and a lot of times we may need information regarding that problem. And so having your group here is critical for that success. And uh, so, and Rivink's been around a long, long time and been very successful. So we're, proud to have that partnership with your group uh, to be able to, you know, help our members be, you know, to, to be successful.
0: Well, Tim, thank you so much. Um, Tim, Tim Mitten, under promising, over delivering uh, for the, for the HBA and, uh, and all of our members. Um, thanks very much for stopping in today. And thank you. Um, hopefully uh, you won't be a stranger. Yep. Sounds great. <laughs> thanks. Care. Thank you for listening to Getting Real with Rob. This podcast is produced by the Real Estate and Building Industry Coalition in Charlotte, North Carolina. Learn more about us at rebic.com. That's R-E-B-I-C.com. We'll talk to you next time.